podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The 1865 Match Report. Hello and welcome to the 1865 Match Report with me, Rich Ferraro, on the 9th of April, the day that Forrest won their fifth league game in a row, unbelievably, their third since the international break, beating Birmingham City 2-0 at the City Ground. So it was a great scoreline and results elsewhere seem to go our way because, let's get this out of the way early on, Forest are third, yes, third in the league. Let's just say that Bournemouth fans are going to be getting nervous. Um, in terms of today's match, Forest named an unchanged team. So that was Samba in goal. It was Worrell, Figueredo and McKenna at the back. Spence and Cole back at wingbacks. Garner and Yates in the centre of the park and Zinkenagel supporting Davis and Johnson. Uh, Baz, I'm going to come to you. I've mentioned the league position. I've mentioned the scoreline. I've mentioned the other results. How do you feel today? It was like a party out there today. It was it was absolutely brilliant at the end. Um, that There's a definite sense of belief that actually maybe we can even avoid the playoffs. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking about that a little bit later. Um, just at the start of the match, it's worth saying that as somebody who's resident in the Lower Brian Clough stand, um, you've seen plenty of the displays from Forza Garibaldi in the Trent End, and today you were one of the displays, <laughs> yes. weren't you? <laughs> I was under the flag, so I think it's, uh, it had the Oasis lyrics. For, um, Acquiesce, yeah. yes. which is a great song, um, but... Yeah, I was underneath it, so I couldn't really see what was going on. <laughs> yeah, and I was saying, that, OK, maybe because we're men of a certain age, but um, but football fans and Oasis seem to go well together, don't yeah. they? So, um, right, and it was a blistering start from Forrest, and it was a blistering start from the Aston Villa striker on loan at the city ground. And, um, I mean, he's a beast, isn't he? Talk us through the opening goal. Uh, well, so what happened was, it was on the... There's a bit, you, if you just watch the highlights, you won't see this. Um, there's a bit just before that where Brennan Johnson got clattered on the other side of the pitch, just outside the penalty area. Um, so we had a free kick. Johnson and Garner both stood up for it, and Figueredo, Worrell, and McKenna went forwards. Garner played the ball in, and their keeper kicked, uh, caught it. Then Figs and Zinc started running back to get back into position and they ran into each other and basically collided off each other and landed in a heap. Their keeper played the ball forwards. Zinc got up, ran to the man who received the ball, the, the Birmingham player who received the ball, tackled him. And Jono did this brilliant thing where he basically saw that Zinc was going to get win the tackle and moved into space so that when Zinc did the tackle, he had Jono to pass straight to. Jono looked up, saw Davis making a run down the down the left wing, played it to him, and then Davis cut in, beat his man and beat the keeper at the near post, um, uh, going across the keeper, rather. Um, so the finish from Davis and the way he beat his man was brilliant, but the build-up to it was also quite brilliant. Well, it sounds like it started with the finesse of the Chuckle Brothers and ended with the finesse of the Isley Brothers. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> OK. And, and, of course, everyone is going to be going crazy about that finish from Davis because it... I mean, were you surprisingly shot from there? Yes. I thought, well, I thought uh, he's, 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 he's going to get saved. It should get saved if you're shooting mm -hmm. from there. But he hit it so hard. Yeah. You can't... I, I would say that, no, a keeper shouldn't get beaten at his near post, but... Sometimes it's just so powerful you can't yeah, do yeah. much. It reminded me a little bit about the goal that Sammy Amiobi scored against Leeds um, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, when we beat them in, where it's just like he's not going to shoot. He's never going to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so that's a really good start. Now, 
let's be honest, okay, at that stage, knowing that Birmingham are a team who've been patchy um, and their team who've had lots of struggles on and off the pitch, uh, missing their top striker, who happens to be a Forest player, were you thinking at that point, you know what, we need to go on and absolutely batter them? Yes. Uh, I turned to the bloke next to me and I said, we need to get about three here because they've got nothing apart from clogging us. Yeah, yeah. OK. Which neatly brings me on to, and I was just about to say that in a way, I think um, it's, it's a bit like the Reading match. Scored a very early goal there and then it kind of petered out a little bit, but Forrest obviously turned it on in the second half and, and won 4-0. Um, but you've mentioned about clogging and... After Wednesday's match against Coventry, for about the fifth time this season, you said, I don't want to talk about referees. So shall we not talk about referees Actually, for a bit? To, to, be, to be honest, I don't, I don't have any complaints about the referee today. Um, there, there was stuff that I think he got wrong, but the stuff he got wrong, it was just stuff that referees are going to get wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that. Using the word wrong too many times. <laughs> um, but what did happen, and I think it was quite pivotal, was Keenan Davis was running them ragged. They didn't have a clue how to deal with him. Um, I said to the bloke next to me, he really, he really, really reminds me of Marlon Harewood. He has this way of receiving the ball with his back to goal and then trapping it under his feet and then taking it around the defender mm. in a way that I've not seen since Harewood. So, as I said, that means we've got Harewood and Jono up front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, which, you said, which you said on Wednesday. And it's, it's a strange one, actually, because, of course, the, the Kevin Campbell comparisons were there, I suppose, because of the player's stature, his strength. Um, and also, his technique. Yeah, and his technique. But And then, of course, there was the Collymore-esque goal against, yeah. against Reading. But, but yes, I mean, I can completely see where, especially with the formation that Forrest play, because it's very similar to Paul Hart's front three, yeah, yeah. and Marlon used to more or less play off the right-hand side. And so, in some ways, Keenan's a bit like a mirror image of that, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. But what happened was about 25 minutes in, maybe, mm -hmm. um, we started on a break. Um, Davis had two men to beat and one of them came in behind him and took him out. Um, he wasn't the last man, so the I think it was Gordon got mm -hmm. booked. But whatever happened, Davis just was not the same for the rest of the first half. Mm -hmm. um, every time he received the ball, he was getting shoved off the ball. Okay. And up till that point, his strength and his, his holding up the ball was what gave us an outlet. And so suddenly we couldn't keep, the, keep possession anymore and it let Birmingham into the game. OK. In the spirit of not talking about the ref, I'm just going to jump forward a few minutes because Nico Gordon got booked for that, didn't he? I think so, yeah. Um, and there was... A now, I didn't see it, but there was a moment which has been, I've seen, des described variously as an assault, as GBH, um, where Keenan got absolutely clattered and the defender wasn't booked. And then um, I think Gary Gardner got booked for like an innocuous trip a couple of minutes later. So, so having said we're not going to talk about the ref, did come on, sometimes those things perplex you, don't they? Well, to be honest, um, I wasn't that... Bothered, but he did get clattered, but it was it was just one of those things. Okay, if we hadn't had the ref on Wednesday night, would you have been more bothered? No, as I keep as I said on Wednesday, I don't want to talk about refs because they have a difficult job and they get it wrong sometimes. It's when on Wednesday the problem was all the decisions were going against us. Okay, whereas today the stuff they got wrong, they just got wrong. Okay, okay. Now you mentioned that you know Keenan was kind of a little bit sort of 
he, he disappeared a little bit. Not yeah. disappeared, but he was he was uh, under the cosh a little bit. I think he was struggling. Yeah, and and therefore it meant that Birmingham. Now, what one thing that surprised me is we just had a quick look at the um, at the match highlights on Sky on the Sky app, and it's surprising actually to me having kind of. Uh, sort of paid attention to the match. It's surprising, actually, how many goalmouth moments there were and, and how much Birmingham featured in the highlights for shots that were... Well, I mean, Samba it. wasn't really troubled, though, was he, he? He wasn't troubled, and Birmingham weren't very good, but we couldn't get hold of the ball, and I think it was Gordon especially was, was causing us real problems going forwards. Mm-hmm. He was finding little pockets of space and then putting in shots that were off target or okay. the, their final ball was awful. Which he'll be grateful for because... Uh, you know, Steve Hodge was saying that in defence he was having an absolutely torrid yeah. time because Davis and Johnson, with their movement, their strength, yeah, yeah. and their pace, were really causing. As a young defender, he was kind of he'll be having nightmares defensively about this one. Um, let's talk about Steve Hodge as well, actually, because before half time he made a comment saying. Forrest really could be doing with a second goal before half-time because if they do do that, you can see Birmingham almost like downing tools and just giving yeah. up. But if they, if Forrest don't get that second goal, then you know they've got experienced players like Dini and Jukovic to bring on in the second half. At, when we were approaching half-time only a goal up, were you a little bit worried that we hadn't put it to bed? Yes and no. If it had been the Forrest side of any of the last 10 years, I'd have been, we're going to lose this game because we haven't scored before half time. Whereas today, it was like, we're going to have to really screw up to get to let them into this game. But it would, but we deserve to be way, way better off than we are. So basically, what you're saying is it goes back to that Steve Cooper mantra of belief. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it's 1-0 to the Reds at half time. At the start of the second half, I mean, we'd mentioned that Nico Gordon had had a torrid first half defensively, but you said that he'd kind of had some good forays forward. Um, he had an early chance from a corner, and then Keenan Davis had another effort, um, a header, and then Ryan Yates had uh, a shot which was well saved by Etheridge from, uh, from the edge of the box. I mean, it, it seems, would it be fair to describe them, you know, the second half as continuing where the first half left off in terms of there was quite a lot of action going on. Yes, uh, yeah. The, the, I was surprised that Davis came out for the second half, but he seemed to be much, much stronger and whatever. So he, the, the fifteen minutes or whatever he'd had had helped him recover. So mm-hmm. we were getting, we were keeping the ball much better, and we were using it much better mm-hmm. in the second half. Do you think that could be a little bit of fatigue as well? So it, where, you know, he played three matches in in, in a week, as albeit coming off, you know, being substituted by Surridge as he usually is. But he played three matches in a week. And then when you're getting battered around a bit, you kind of, it's easy to lose your mojo. Possibly. But I think he took a knock and he just needed a bit of time for it it to subside. Let's just skip forward a little bit. There was a big moment after about 69 minutes. Jed Spence was making a break down the right wing. Neil Etheridge came out. Uh, both of them were going 100 miles an hour. Actually, well, before this, um, so there was an incident before that mm-hmm. uh, where we made an attack, the ball comes through to Jono and he gets body checked by the by one of their defenders. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one it was. Um, Jono goes flying, falls on the ground um, and the referee um, waves play on. 
Jono stands up absolutely incensed, and then the linesman waves for the flag, uh, waves his flag. Mm-hmm. So the referee goes over, has a chat with the linesman. Now we're there going, the bloke behind me, I could hear him going, that wasn't a foul, that was, he just, he just ran into him. Mm-hmm. And from where I was, I couldn't, I couldn't tell if it was a foul or not, it looked like a 50-50. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd wave play on. But if it was a foul, then that defender was the last man. And so when the referee spoke to the linesman and then gave the foul and booked someone else for something else, mm-hmm. surely that means that that counts as a red card because it was the last man just on the edge of the box. So, the so, to be. so the, def- the, de- the last defender wasn't actually the man who received the yellow card? No. Okay. So something curious. And again, in the spirit of not talking about referees for the third time in this podcast... It's it's actually been quite rare this season that we have had referees like on Wednesday where all the decisions seem to go in one team's favour or against one team. But there have been a lot of decisions which have just been a bit baffling. So would this... Yeah, yeah. I, I think... I think I personally, looking back on it, what, an hour or two later, I think the referee got it right the first time and the assistant got it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then when the referee saw the assistant flagging for it and had a word with him, he didn't really know how to deal with it, so he kind of bottled it. Hedged his bets. Yeah. Um, okay. But this was literally like two minutes before the, the Spence incident, so I think that has a bearing on what Etheridge, how Etheridge reacted. OK, so, all right, so let me go back to where I was. So Jed was making a break down the right wing, yep. cutting inside slightly... Etheridge comes out 100 miles an hour. Spence, obviously, is at 100 miles an hour because that's what he is. And then let's just cut to the chase. There was a coming together. Both players went down. Etheridge was absolutely Sparko out cold. Yeah. Um, So Etheridge, I I mean, I was surprised because Spence had beaten the fullback and had an open run on goal, but he was still 25 yards out. And Etheridge comes out of his box slides down and to my mind from where I was and I was kind of behind it a little bit um it looked to me like Etheridge took Spence out and then as Spence was flying through the air smacked Etheridge in the head Mm -hmm. now I've seen a replay of it on video on Twitter and it looks maybe like Etheridge actually just gets to the ball first but my first thought was that's a red card. Then my second thought was he's not moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So let's let's. What the replay shows is that there are a lot of Reds fans whose instinct was actually Etheridge has completely cleaned out Spence there. But in fairness, um, he did get the ball. He mm. did get the ball. But in that follow through, Jed in trying to avoid him and flying through the air, his knee basically bonked. Etheridge on the noggin, didn't yeah. he? So, so he was out cold, and and it's a, it's a strange one because we were having a little discussion, weren't we? It's like when it wasn't clear when we hadn't seen the replay. It's like, is it possible for the referee to send off a player who's unconscious? Because, like, at first glance, you can see why. And actually, in that sense, again, if you're a ref, you're in a horrible position there, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And and to be fair as well, is like. He did get the ball, but it was a two-footed challenge. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really tricky one. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, given what's happened, I hope he's all right, obviously. Yeah. And we, you never want to see someone stretch it off, especially like that, where both teams, entire medical teams, come on yeah. and strap him into the stretcher like that. 
it was yeah, that and was they, they they called for the paramedics pretty early yeah. on, didn't they? And the game was stopped for pretty much ten minutes, wasn't yeah. it? So so it's not a nice situation. Obviously, we as with the entire footballing community, we send our best with best wishes to Neil Etheridge, which was harder to say than I thought it would be. Um, but okay, so what that meant was that. Uh, the first substitution of the game was an enforced one for Birmingham, whereby they were taking off their goalkeeper and putting off their putting on Connell Truman. And the first question before I come back to Truman is: Did that long stoppage disrupt the game, and did it particularly disrupt Forest? I think it it had more of a disruptive effect on Forest because we were just sort of building up a little bit of momentum, but there wasn't that much in it. Okay, so. Let's come back to the goalkeeper, because he is Birmingham's second-choice keeper. But for a keeper, he's not as tall and strong as you'd expect a championship keeper to be. And therefore, when Forrest won some corners, Jack Colback put a corner in where he put it right under the bar and Truman had to come and, 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 and uh, try and claim it. And it led to another corner, which Jimmy Garner took from the other side. And again, he put it right into the mixer. And this time... Well, it worked, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that first one, I, I can remember thinking, oh, he's flapped at that a bit. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the second one, um, McKenna. Yep. Who, once again, outstanding, absolutely outstanding player. Um, coming forwards, he was making attacks happen in the first half when no one else would. Um, he was solid at the back, apart from one mistake later on in the game. And then he got rewarded both with a goal and with lots and lots of singing of his name. Yeah, yeah. And and bearing in mind the era we're in, it's if you get a song, then yeah. it's a sign, you know. Um, worth also noting that McKenna was facing the wrong way when he yes. added it in. Um, and he did... He did acknowledge this in his post-match interview. He did kind of say, uh, yeah, it, I scored one earlier in the season like this where it kind of hit me on the ear and sort of the back of the head. But I meant it, obviously. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, and, and like you say, there's a few people on Twitter. There's a bit of a chorus on Twitter these days saying, actually, McKenna might just, in a very good season, McKenna might just be the player of the season, just purely on consistency alone. And you've said this several times. You said it on Wednesday mm. night after the Coventry match. One of the great things about him is he's so economical with what he does, but he's yeah. so effective with what he does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's definitely my favourite player in this side. Mm. OK. Um, then, obviously, Forrest now 2-0 two, two up with... Um, OK, there was, what, 15 minutes of the, of the game to go, but lots of stoppage time. Yep. And so we saw the substitutions on, I think, about 80 minutes that we expected. Yep. And this is a sign that you've put the game to bed, and we've seen it. On Wednesday, we saw it last Saturday, take off the front three and put on the second choice front yeah. three. So we saw um, Davis and uh, Zinconagel and Johnson go off and Surridge and Graben and Lolly go on. Um, the difference being this time, all three of them came on at once, didn't yep. they? Uh, I have to say, from that moment onwards, we had no shape whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Which you, you kind of expect when you make three subs like that, but... Um, and there was a little bit of a clash, like um, on against Coventry, Cooper made a little bit of a veiled hint, a dig at Joe Lolly, um, saying our game management towards the end of the game wasn't great. We were taking shots when we shouldn't have done and running the ball into areas where maybe we shouldn't have been, we should have been keeping the game under control, um, which was basically Lolly was trying too hard to impress. 
and mm-hmm. doing his normal thing of taking the game by the scruff of the neck and shooting when from distance when maybe actually just playing it into the corner flag would have been a, a better idea. Today, um, we saw a bit of a, a clash of styles. Surridge was doing that same sort of thing where mm-hmm. he was trying to shoot everywhere and try to make things happen. And Graben was like being the old pro and trying to keep the ball and, and, and slow everything down. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Lolly was sort of everywhere because he likes running a lot, <laughs> and, and all that all that meant was our shape went completely. And actually, Birmingham probably had more chances in the last, well, it, what what would have turned out to be the last twenty five minutes of the game mm-hmm. um, than they did in the rest of the game completely. So, would you say that um, despite Cooper's comments about game management on Wednesday, the game management was worse tonight? <laughs> yes, uh, although. I, that, I think it's if you're going to change three players at once, it's going to have a big effect on the side. So, mm-hmm. okay. I mean, Scotty McKenna in his post-match interview, he was talking about he mentioned game management probably more than his manager did, and he was saying that actually the set that's why the second goal is important because if you're only one goal up and then there's always a chance that the opposition can nick something, in which case you're looking back and going, well, that's not good. So, I think. The game management, in this sense, is getting enough goals that the opposition can't <laughs> score more than you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and he wouldn't have made three substitutions if we were only 1-0 up uh, in the 80th minute, I'm sure of that. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. And now it's time for a view from the away end. Hi everyone, it's Tom here from the Blues Focus podcast. Pre-match expectation of the game was, I actually thought we were going to get hammered 5-0. Um... Obviously glad that didn't happen. Uh, I did put a bet on it though, just in case to numb the pain. <laughs> um, but no, right. No Blues fan went into that game realistically expecting to take anything away. Uh, Forest are in amazing form. I actually do think Forest will finish second. Obviously just got to win that six pointer over in Bournemouth, and you're well on course. Um, but no, I've um, been really, really impressed uh, with what I saw. Um, but I was gutted. Um, that we lost the way we did. I don't. I don't really feel like we offered much in the game. I think we just set out to match you up, and that's about it. Um, just hoping maybe we could get a clean sheet and take a point. Um, tactically, we were really poor. Etheridge, um, you know, uh, prayers are out for him at the moment. Obviously, being going to hospital after um, the injury and the collision with uh, Jed Spence. Um, but he, up to that point, had actually had a really good game, uh, made some good saves. Um, I thought Bakuna did all right in midfield, um, sort of was our only drive forward. Uh, Taylor Richards was OK in the first half, but other than that, we didn't really offer much. What I was really, really, really impressed with was Jack Colback um, at left wing back, which is crazy. Um, Onel Hernandez is probably our best attacking threat. And Jack Colback, I have never seen anyone deal with Onel Hernandez that way. Just manhandled him, um, dealt with him perfectly and kept him at bay. And not many people have been able to do that since we've signed Hernandez. So, fair play. Um, So, yeah, uh, the ref wasn't great. I feel like he was giving sort of every little soft foul here and there and really stopped starting the game, didn't really let it flow, but... Um, at the end of the day, the better team won. But uh, good luck to Forrest and the rest of your season. And uh, yeah, I reckon you're well in the race for automatic promotion and there's every chance you could achieve it. So good luck to you all. Uh, enjoy the rest of your season. And uh, thank you for having me on the pod. 
let's talk about the league position because uh, my good lady wife uh, looked at the league table after 15 minutes at quarter, quarter past three today and she just goes, oh my God, Forrest of Thurston, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're absolutely not. Don't start thinking that way. But we are. Mm-hmm. Do you know, the, the, the worst of it is, imagine if you're Derby County and you've been deducted 21 points at the start of the season and you said, would you take third place? <laughs> Because we basically gave away 20 points at the start of the season. Yep. And look at where we are now. And if I was a Bournemouth fan, I would be really, really nervous. Because their running for the next two weeks or so yeah. is much, much harder than ours. And, and today was a case in point. Bournemouth versus Sheffield United. Yep. Whatever the result there, Forest were winners. Yep. Um, you know, in terms of cementing a position as a top six team. Um, yeah, so... This has been a little bit of a, a topic of conversation again. If you're a Bournemouth fan, are you getting nervous? And funnily enough, just before we started recording, I did see a tweet from a Bournemouth fan saying, oh God, Steve Cook's going to score a winning goal against us in the last <laughs> week of the season, isn't he? That's going to knock us out of the promotion places. Yeah, that, that would be nice. <laughs> OK. Um, it's, can Forrest do it? Yes. Which is quite an amazing thing to say. Um, More than that, I really, really, really want Forrest to do it because I really don't want to go through the playoffs. Well, again, this goes back to a discussion that you and Stephen had on Wednesday (laughs) where it's like, well, on the other hand, Cooper did semi-finals and finals. (laughs) So what's the logical next step? Actually, logical next step should really be automatic promotion. (laughs) Um, Luton is the next match next Friday. Now... As far as I'm concerned, Luton are the best team in the division. Mm. Uh, if you look at it, I mean, if you look at it pound for pound, then there's no contest. Luton are punching above their weight, way above anyone else in the division. They are currently in fifth position. They're there on merit. They mm. haven't had luck. They've fought their way to that. Now, my prediction is that that game is probably not going to be very pretty, but it should be a great competitive encounter. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I see that as a a, um, a hard-fought one-all. Okay. So, you're predicting a draw. Is that... Do Forest need to win all of their remaining matches if they are going to get automatic promotion, or does Bournemouth's run-in make it a bit more nuanced? <sighs> It's, I think for Forrest to get automatic promotion, it depends entirely on Bournemouth holding their nerve or losing their nerve. Even if we win everything, if Bournemouth hold their nerve, then six points at this stage of the season shouldn't be thrown away. Mm -hmm. But they've been in pole position for the entire season, so if anyone's going to lose their nerve and when when they're up against it, and they've had yeah. they've had flappy flappy periods of the season, yeah. they've had runs where they've maybe not got as many points as they should for three or four matches yeah. in a row. And for all, when you look back at this season, with the exception of that little sticky patch just after Christmas with those two defeats, Forest, even when they haven't got results, it's been for a couple of matches at a go rather yeah. than three or four matches at a go. And and we believe we can beat any anyone that we play against. Yeah. And at worst, even if we only finish third, mm-hmm. that's such an achievement. Yes. So, so from from Bournemouth's point of view, finishing third is devastating. From our point of view, it's amazing. So that immediately sets the tone for the running. Okay. And 
I mean, what you're saying is actually this is one of those occasions where actually it's better to be the chaser yeah. than the person being chased. It, it, again, being old, mm-hmm. uh, it makes me think of um, Kevin Keegan and Newcastle all those mm-hmm. years ago, where actually that you see the gaps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and you're starting to think, no, we, 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 we've got enough of a gap, we've got enough of a gap, and you throw it away. OK, I'm, I'm not going to say what the obvious thing there, <laughs> but I think we'd enjoy it if Forrest were still in with a shout when we get to that last week of the season. And I'd enjoy it. <laughs> yes, I'd enjoy it. OK, so there's nowhere we can go from there, is there? Um, then we have got a few days break. Uh, having had, you know, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, we've now got a, a little gap until Friday. Um, and that's probably to the squad's benefit to, to rest their legs a little bit, especially bearing in mind we are using a finite group of players. Um, so I'm going to say thank you very much to Baz for your contribution today. Thank you. Thank you very much to Steve Cooper and to Forrest <laughs> for making this one of the most enjoyable seasons we've had in many, many years. And thank you to you, listener. We'll be back on Friday. Sports Social Podcast Network.